up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. This is Matt Wyrick along with Kevin Haswell. We've taken a bit of a break away from the pod, of course, with college coming to an end for this year. Uh, we had a lot of exams and things got kind of got hectic there, but we are back. Don't you worry. Uh, and sports did not stop. We have had lots of conference semifinals with the NBA and NHL, baseball is in full swing, and man, is there a lot going on. Kevin, how are you doing? Pretty good. You know, the break, I'm sure a lot of people out there will say my, our break from the pod was due to the Sixers losing. <laughs> uh, to the Celtics last week, very tough uh, five-game series. They definitely could have won it in five games themselves. But it's great to be back on the pod. I'm excited. Uh, we'll be back consistently each and every week, twice a week. I'm excited to see the content we're going to have on the website, and I'm excited to be back on the pod with Matt, so let's get running. Yep, well, we've got, of course, the game that's actually happening right now as we record this podcast, the Cavaliers and Celtics getting things started, the Eastern Conference Finals, of course, the matchup we were all really waiting for prior to the playoffs before Kyrie Irving went down, of course, Kyrie went down and the Celtics are still standing, Um, but they're facing a Cavs team that has Turn some heads with the play outside of LeBron James, Kevin Love, uh, having himself a decent series, Kyle Korver really coming into his own, J.R. Smith shooting well. So this is a team that definitely looks like they have the potential to win. Meanwhile, the Celtics, you know, playing very well without Kyrie. Al Horford has stepped up and been the man there. Terry Roger and Marcus Smart, a uh, bunch of just a great supporting cast all around. The Celtics certainly have the depth uh, to go as far as they have. Kevin... Where do you stand on this series? Who's your player to watch, and how far do you think it's going to go? Yeah, I think it's a Cavaliers series. I mean, the way LeBron has been playing this postseason, uh, I mean, has been amazing. I think, you know, this is some of the best basketball he's been playing, um, you know, throughout his whole career. But, you know, I think it, there's a couple guys to watch on the Celtics side. I mean, the Cavaliers really haven't had a consistent guy uh, down low throughout the playoffs. Um, with Kevin Love playing on the perimeter, uh, Tristan Thompson not playing consistently, Larry Dance really not getting a lot of playing time. You know, the way that the Celtics can really exploit the Cavaliers is, is down low uh, with veterans like Aaron Baines and Al Horford. Aaron Baines has an effective field goal percentage of 60% during this postseason, which is up from 40% from the regular season. Um, that's the biggest, the fifth biggest jump among 82 players with at least 300 field goal, field goal attempts um, in the regular season and at least in 50 in the playoffs. So he's really, you know, brought this, uh, turned around his game in the playoffs. Uh, you know, during the Sixers series, he would even step out and make some threes. Uh, Jalen Brown, another, you know, great guy who's, you know, shot. His, he's another guy with the effective field goal percentage going, going up in the uh, playoffs, shooting 75% effective field goal percentage in the third quarter. So he's been really good for them. But I'll go back to me talking about big men, Al Horford, he was probably the biggest reason that they were able to pull off the, the upset over the Sixers. And, you know, he was the only player uh, who ranks top five in points scored um, as a role man. Um, and on post-ups in the playoffs, he shot four, 28 for 43, 56% on post-ups. Um, the best mark among players with at least 20 post-up field goal attempts. So the fact that he was able to do that against players like Joel Embiid um, and Dario Sarge and, you know, pretty good post defenders. Um, I think that's a place where the Celtics can really exploit the Cavaliers. Uh, the real question, I mean, it, it all comes down to, do the Celtics have someone that can stop LeBron James? 
I think the answer is no. I mean, we saw Marcus Morris come out the other day saying he's the best defender in the league against LeBron James. I don't believe that. LeBron shooting 50% from the field uh, with, I think, 26 points and 11 assists when Marcus Morris is guarding him. I don't see that being a proponent in this series. I don't see anyone being able to slow down LeBron. And that's why the most important player in this series is also the best player in the series, and that's LeBron James. It's going to come down to the Cavaliers uh, being able to get production from other players, but at the end of the day, I got the Cavaliers winning in five games. I think Boston's able to take one uh, back home, probably one of the first two games. Uh, but after that, you know, it's going to be a dominant uh, Cavs series. You know, the interesting, the other interesting thing to watch is these two teams have actually played the most close, most games uh, that have come down to less than five points in the postseason. Both have been. In, uh, seven different games that have been decided by less than five points. So, you know, both teams very successful in close games throughout the playoffs. We'll see how they react in this. But, you know, the Cavs got the best player in the series. And like I've said on past pods, usually got to go with the best player. So I got the Cavs in five games. Yeah, I mean, you know, I saw an interesting stat on Twitter the other day that LeBron James has played more postseason minutes the entire Celtics roster combined. I mean, that goes to show where this guy's been and also just some of the inexperience uh, out of the Celtics. I mean, yes, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. They're in the exact same place they were before. But, you know, they have guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown playing roles, bigger roles than they've ever played in their careers. Um, And, you know, this defense, if you're going to play against LeBron, uh, you know, you've got to basically – the textbook play on him is is force him to try and get, you know, over to his right side where he's going to try and drive but force him out. Um, you know, don't let him get into the lane where he'll dominate you no matter who you are, whether you play center or whatever it is, force him to shoot threes. Um, you know, he'll still beat you that way plenty of times, but he's certainly much better when he's able to drive into the lane at will. So that's going to be the biggest key there is, is keep LeBron out of the paint. Um, but I think the biggest matchup, honestly, is Kevin Love versus Al Horford. Horford's the best player on the Celtics right now. There's no doubt about it. Um, and has really kicked it up a notch in the postseason, uh, 21.4 player efficiency rating uh, so far in the 11 games he's played. Uh, you know, I've been impressed with his play, but I've really been impressed with how Kevin Love's come around. Uh, maybe not necessarily the staggering numbers that you're expecting, but just kind of the seeing the way uh, he's been moving around on the court. It's been a lot more effective. He's, he's certainly being a, a force in the paint, a uh, higher rebound percentage, uh, especially in key situations. He's really come through late in games. Uh, in ways that we weren't really expect used to seeing out of him. You know, he was a very good player this year when he was on the court. Obviously, injuries played a big role in that. Um, but he's really stepped up, uh, and I've been impressed with him. So I think, really, it's, it's going to be a question of who dominates in the paint. Um, can Alf Horford be a big enough presence where the Cavs are going to need to play with a player who might need to, you know, rebound a bit more and, and not score as much just so they can have that, that point presence? Or can Kevin Love handle it on his own? I think that's going to be a huge proponent of, you know, what kind of supporting cast LeBron James has around because, you know, if they're going to play the pick and roll, um, you know, LeBron's going to have to pass it off, especially if he's going to have to, you know, get pushed out of that paint, have to push the ball around, you know, work other options. Yes, we're seeing one of the greatest postseason performances ever out of him this year. I mean, 34 points per game, nine rebounds per game, nine assists, That you know, that's otherworldly numbers, but you know, it's still, there still is the rest of this team, and as much as people love to joke that, you know, it's Cavs, uh, the Cavs are LeBron, and LeBron, you know, they're going the way of him. Obviously, he plays a huge role in that, but they're going to need other players to score, and I think it's going to be just as big with the players in the paint, uh, considering these two teams' style of play. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, like what you were talking about, 
um, with LeBron and, and the supporting cast. Uh, a player that I think has a big opportunity to show out in the series is Jordan Clarkson. Uh, he's only been 5 for 25 from the three-point range in the series, or uh, in the playoffs. Um, the worst mark among players with at least 25 uh, three-point attempts this postseason. You know, they made all those trades at the trade deadline. It's very interesting because a lot of those players have really not contributed in the playoffs. They've really gone back to the experienced players. So it'll be interesting to see whether Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, Rodney Hood, who refused to play in garbage time uh, during the Raptors series, those guys are going to be very important, I think, in this series, especially against a Celtics team that you know probably one through seven has one of the best rosters in basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's really a question of can this depth hang around with the Celtics? I mean, the, the way these two teams are, it's, it's the somebody put it, it's a monarchy versus a republic. The Cavs are the monarchy. They've got LeBron, the guy at the top, clearly the best player in the series. There's no doubt about it. When he's on the court, he's going to dominate whatever he wants to do. But the Republic over here in the, in the Celtics, you know, they work it around. They're, they're going to have contributors from all over the court. Uh, players, you know, sometimes will have guys come up and, and score, you know, have big minutes that maybe you weren't even used to seeing uh, in the series altogether. And, you know, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of this team is, you know, guys like Terry Roger, Al Horford, um, you know, Marcus Smart, Aaron Baines will come up and have a big game. I mean, we're going to see, you know, a lot of different contributors from the Celtics team. And uh, from what we've seen so far, you know, they're certainly a good defensive team, but I really like the offense too. Um, you know, Terry Roger definitely can be a playmaker on the offensive side. Uh, you know, his offensive numbers in terms of assists, he's not an exceptional passer. Um, you know, more of a guy who just is going to go and, and drive in the lane. You know, definitely shoots a lot of threes, averaging eight per game in the playoffs and uh, hitting, you know, 39% of those. But, He's a guy that, you know, is, is really, to me, not somebody who creates offense, more has offense create around him, um, which kind of fuels into what this, you know, Celtics offense is. It's guys feeding off each other. Al Horford working down low in the post. Um, you know, one of the better post players we've seen uh, in the past few years. Jason Tatum just, you know, working up and down the court. He's so young. Uh, it's just a, some blinding speed sometimes where you're just kind of like, whoa, did that really just happen? He makes some incredible plays that, uh, you know, a guy of his stature really, you don't really see making. I mean, young guys we, we talked about before are really coming into their own in the league and starting to adapt faster. And it's just incredible because this game is only getting faster and faster as years have gone on. Um, but, you know, like I said, this is a team that spreads around the ball. They've got six different players averaging 10 plus points in the playoffs this year. That's an incredible number. Meanwhile, the Celts, the Cavs have two uh, on their entire team. So, you know, that just right there shows what these two offenses are like. And personally, I'm going with the Cavs in six. Uh, I don't. I think you have to be pretty ballsy to be picking the Celtics here in this series. Yes, this Cavs team doesn't look as tough as ones we've seen in season past. And I've gone on the pod in previous you know, episodes, especially midway through the season, where I really digged on the Cavs. And I said, you know, this isn't a team uh, that looks like it can go all the way. It looks like it can make a run at the um, you know NBA Finals. And yes, I still don't think they could beat either the Rockets or the Warriors. But this Cavs team, you know, they've come together a lot more than I thought they would. Yes, like you said, Kevin, they're not really the players that we thought they were going to be, uh, you know, the ones that came over midway through the season. They're not really making as many contributions. But, you know, J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, and um, guy I was just talking about in um, Kevin Love, the three of them have really, you know, shown me that they can be solid contributors for this offense. And if they can keep that up, you know, obviously it wasn't happening in the regular season. They've turned the switch. I've been very impressed. they got to just keep it going. If they do, there's no doubt to me that uh, 
Cavs will win it. I do give some, the Celtics some credit. I did pick them to, uh, to beat the 76ers in the previous round, and I was very impressed with their style of play, and I think that you know they can keep pace with the Cavs for sure, and they're a team that know them. But uh, you know, like they said, a lot of people said last year, they just don't match up well with the Cavs uh, in terms of their defensive schemes and uh, the way that Cleveland moves the ball. So we're, uh, like I said, it's that big, big man um, play with Al Horford and Kevin Love. I'm really interested to see how Love responds to Horford's uh, defensive movements. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for this series. I think it's going to be a really good one. And um, with 10 minutes to go until tip-off, uh, I'm going to be tuning in real soon. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the other matchup I just wanted to mention before we move on was uh, George Hill and Terry Rozier. I mean, Terry Rozier has 38 three-pointers this playoffs, which leads uh, all of basketball. Uh, his effect, effective field goal percentage in the fourth quarter is seventy, almost at 78%, which is the second best of any player in any quarter in these playoffs. So he's been very clutch. I, I think in the past series, um, the Sixers really didn't have a point guard that could neutralize him. I don't think Ben Simmons was quick enough to really you know, stop him. Uh, I think George Hill will be the neutralizer. I think Terry Rozier has a worse series than people think he will have. Um, and that's why another reason I want to go with the Cavs in five. All right, well, that's the Eastern Conference. Over in the West, we have the other two uh, teams we were expecting going into the playoffs. It's the Warriors and the Rockets. First game starts tomorrow, 9 o'clock on TNT, with the Rockets as the number one seed playing host to to Golden State. Uh, This is a full Golden State team. They've got Steph Curry. They've got Kevin Durant. Everybody's healthy. They're, They're clicking on all cylinders right now, and, you know, there's really no reason to me to expect them to slow down. I mean, yes, the Rockets are the number one seed. They had the better regular season record. Um, but Golden State is on a roll. This is a team that, just like the Cavs, flips on that switch in the playoffs, and there really is nobody like them. Uh, the, you know, Kevin Durant has taken over um, in multiple series already, and I expect him to do so again. I'm picking the, Ca- the Warriors in five. Kevin, who are you going with? I'm going to go with the Warriors in seven. I think this, this series will be a lot closer than we think. Uh, you know, the, the guard combo. This is probably the best guard matchup we've seen uh, in you know, the basketball the last five years with Chris Paul and James Harden versus Steph Curry uh, and Klay Thompson. I mean, the the amount of three-pointers, both of those, you know, all four of those guards shoot is insane, um, and they're some of the best in the game. Uh, you know, it comes down to I think the Warriors are just a better team. I mean, coming into the postseason, a lot of people probably want to pick the Rockets. Uh, you know, they're the sexy pick because they're first in the Western Conference. Uh, they were really showing out. But, you know, the Warriors were already banged up, so people kind of questioned that. The Warriors have really bounced back. They've showed me that they're really the best team in basketball. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to a seven-game series just because uh, the mismatches that the Rockets can, you know, get on the Warriors. Um, I don't know how well they can slow down the pick and roll with James Harden and Clint Capella. Uh, I don't know if Zaza Pachulia or JaVale McGee are really going to be able to neutralize Clint Capella. And that's why I think it goes seven games. But at the end of the day, I think the Warriors have the experience in the playoffs. They have the best players in the, in, in the series. I think Durant's a better player than Harden. Uh, and, you know, that's why I'm going with the Warriors in seven. Yeah, I mean, this is – it was funny because the Pelicans – matchup intrigued me almost a little bit more because they played to the same style as Golden State, you know, very hustle heavy, uh, lots of turnovers, lots of quick shots, uh, points in transition. Uh, and, and I think we're going to see a lot of the same here. And it was clear that the Warriors weren't going to be beat at their own game. 
And that's really the big thing to me is, is yes, the Rockets are a much better team than the Pelicans. Don't get me wrong. Uh, James Harden and Clint Capella are going to be uh, two big names in there that I really think can make a difference. And maybe maybe they steal away a game. Uh, you know, i, I got to give a nod to my pick for the MVP this year in, in James Harden. I think he's got to at least get them one win in there. Um, but as we've seen with the playoff narratives, I don't think that necessarily it's going to be some playoff woes that, you know, James Harden can't play in the playoffs or anything. Uh, I'm not really expecting to see that uh, out of this team. I certainly think they're going to be able to, you know, keep pace and everything. Um, but, you know, Golden State is just too good at their own game, and there's nobody, there's no way around it. Yes, Chris Paul and James Harden uh, just might be the best backcourt in the NBA this year, but uh, I can't see, you know, an aging Chris Paul, 32 years old, Trevor Ariza, 32, uh, P.J. Tucker, also 32 years old, keeping up with a team that, you know, is literally conditioned to out-sprint you every game it plays, and, uh, you know, especially when they can do that and also shoot as many threes as they can. I mean, it's, it's just an unreal combination, really. Uh, and I love to pick the Rockets. I'm just tired of Warriors-Cavs, but that just looks like what it's going to be to me. And I, I really expect both teams to cruise into uh, the final NBA Finals and then the Warriors to absolutely blow the Cavs out of the water. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. You know, I would, when I was thinking about this before the show, uh, you know, I really thought about Warriors. I knew the Warriors were going to win this series, um, but it was really hard for me to go between five and six and seven games. Uh, you know, I just I, I don't know how much I believe in the Rockets. Uh, obviously, I put a lot of faith in them by picking it to go seven games, but I get, we won't really find out until uh, tip off tomorrow what Rockets team shows up, which James Harden shows up, which Chris Paul shows up, because those guys have had troubles in the past in the playoffs. So it should be a very interesting series to watch. And who's your MVP for the series? Ooh, for the series, I would probably go with Kevin Durant. I just don't – I don't think – I think the uh, Rockets do not have the type of player they need to stop Kevin Durant. I mean, I don't think anyone has you know, the right player. I mean, seven foot tall, he can shoot over anyone. Um, I mean, he can basically get whatever shot he wants because it's how quick he is he's a guard. But I think Kevin Durant's the MVP of this series. Uh, you know, Trevor Ariza, while he's a used to be a great wing defender, he's not as much anymore. They'll probably play uh, Trevor Ariza a lot on Kevin Durant. I just don't see it working out. I, I say Durant averages about thirty a game, and, and the Warriors win this series. Yeah, I gotta agree. I mean, Steph Curry is up there too, in my opinion, in terms of uh, just being an unstoppable force. Yes, they obviously have James Harden uh, to cover him and Chris Paul, uh, two guys who can certainly you know shoulder the weight of having to cover. Uh, Steph Curry, but I, I don't think that you know they're going to be able to put up much of a fight, and it's just it's disappointing because this is going to be another year of Warriors Cavs, and you know I think that's really bad for the NBA, and it's just kind of been anticlimactic almost, especially with the way the Warriors have outplayed uh, the Cavs in recent meetings. You know I'm really not expecting Cleveland to put up a much of a fight. I mean I know you know they've impressed enough to make it all the way, but they are just not in the same class. I think either either of these teams, if they were to win. Uh, would blow Cleveland out, and, you know, it wouldn't even be close. So, you know, I don't know. It's just the NBA has just kind of shifted to this this top-heavy uh, group of players, and, yes, uh, they certainly make for a lot of highlights, and, and following that one team is, is a lot of fun, but I love parity. I love seeing, you know, a lot of players that don't get into the, the finals getting their shot, and just looks like this isn't going to be the year. And a guy like James Harden, who has put in the work over his career, was a Six man at one point, and, and finally, you know, got his own team and really took them to another level. 
especially this year. You know, that's something you want to see him get rewarded for, but it just doesn't look like it's going to happen uh, with how stacked the Warriors are. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen in free agency this year with uh, Paul George and, and a few other guys, you know, changing teams. But uh, I don't think it's going to be stopping anytime soon in terms of which team is going to be the best. Yes, LeBron could leave Cleveland. Um, but, you know, even if he does, it's just going to be LeBron versus uh, Golden State, unless, of course, he goes west, and, you know, that changes everything, obviously, but uh, I, I honestly, I don't see him going west simply because the Warriors have been so good. He's going to keep him in the east, where he's effectively broken the east over the past decade and a half. Uh, you know, no team really can ride to the occasion anymore and beat him, uh, as we've seen, you know, in past years. He just dominates the competition every year and, and comes through when the team needs him to, and uh, here we are. So, you know, this is the NBA as it is right now. And, you know, whether I like it or not, it's what it is. And, uh, you know, we're going to be in for, you know, at least a, a fun series, I think, between the, the Celtics and the Cavs. But, you know, other than that, this is going to be some smooth sailing for the Dubs. Yeah, definitely. The only reason I didn't go with Steph Curry over Durant was because Chris Paul has been an all-NBA defender for years. Uh, that'll be a really good matchup to watch uh, with Chris Paul and Steph Curry. And I, I think they'll slow down Steph Curry a little um, but Durant, I mean, I just don't think the Rockets have what it takes to slow him down. So, definitely um, excited to watch the series. Yep, that is NBA. We'll probably talk hockey later this week, uh, possibly, possibly on our next episode. We'll work on getting Tom in here. Um, we, of course, want to give you informative NHL takes, and uh, without him here, we just don't feel like that's going to be happening. So, that's talking hockey, and we're going to move over to baseball where the Yankees and Red Sox have separated themselves from the pack as the two best teams, not just in the American League, but all of the majors. Uh, you know, they have insane run differentials. Yes, the Astros have a higher one, but, uh, you know, this has really been, you know, Boston took over early in the season, uh, going on an incredible run, then followed with the Yankees, who are in the midst of one right now, took two or three from uh, Boston last week uh, in a key series there. So, Kevin, which of these two teams stands out to you as the best in baseball right now? I think the Yankees proved it this weekend, taking two out of three from the Red Sox. I think they're the best team in baseball. I mean, you you look at their rotation, uh, you look at the ERA pluses. I mean, Luis Severino at uh, two oh six, CC Sabathia is at two oh five. Uh, you know, we got Aroldis Chapman's been great in the back end of the bullpen with an ER, ERA plus of three oh seven, a one point five ERA. Um, you know, up and down the pitching has been great. And then you look at the lineup. I mean. With John Carlos Stanton struggling, I mean, I know in game one against the Red Sox, he had two home runs, but outside of that, 232, uh, a 110 OPS plus, but he started to, you know, turn around. He's got that OPS to 801, and I think he climbs that out to 275 by the end of the 30, 35 home runs. So, you know, even with some of their uh, biggest bats in their lineup struggling, you know, they've been great. They're 27 and 12, uh, first place in the division, and I don't don't see them looking back. I think the Yankees are going to win this division. I think they're the best team in baseball. I am go back and forth on these two teams. The Yankees obviously have an impressive offense, highlighted by D.D. Gregorius, the guy we weren't even really talking about as their best offensive player. Um, yes, Aaron Judge is, is up there as well. Of course, he's hitting 306, and D.D.'s cooled off a little bit since his insanely hot start. But, you know, those two guys have really been the heart of this offense, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. Gary Sanchez you, you know, he didn't even get to mention, hasn't even really come around yet. Labor Torres, you know, being a spark plug, uh, just getting called up a few weeks ago. Uh, I've been really impressed with this Yankees team. However, 
I still am worried about this rotation, just like I was at the start of the season. Yes, Luis Severino is the ace of the top of rotation. CeCe Sabathia is coming out of nowhere with a 2-2-3 ERA. Very impressed with him. However, his FIP is a 3-6-2, so there's going to be some aggression there. Um, at least that's what it looks like so far. So I wouldn't expect him to be as good as he's been moving forward. And then, of course, there's Masahiro Tanaka. Had some shaky starts. Um, is dealing with injury, uh, home run issues. Has already given up eight on the year. Sonny Gray has been absolutely dreadful. Uh, and Jordan Montgomery's on the DL, and they've had to go to Domingo German, who did, you know, start a no-hit bid uh, for them, but then mo most recently uh, got roughed up in a previous start. Um, I believe it was yesterday. Uh, so, you know, there there some inexperience in this rotation. You know, M Montgomery's hurt. German's young. Um, you know, Sonny Gray has never really been on an incredible team aside from that one A's team that flamed out and lost in the wild card game a few years back. But, uh, you know, this is a rotation I'm not convinced about. And I really think that they're going to have to go out and get another starter uh, by the deadline, which, you know, doing the same thing they did last year when they got Sonny Gray. Um, and, you know, I, I just I can't trust them right now. Yes, the offense can carry this team. Uh, for, you know, as long as it can, and, and I'm very impressed. They're going to get Greg Bird back. Uh, he's going to be, um, you know, a big a big addition, you know, once he gets back off that ankle injury. Uh, this offense, you know, once Gary Sanchez turns things around, once uh, Giancarlo Stanton turns things around, it's going to be scary, that's for sure. But, you know, I don't think we're giving enough credit to Boston here. Uh, you know, yes, this offense doesn't jump off the page, you know, as much obviously, but Mookie Betts is playing one of the best players in baseball. I made the ridiculous statement that he wasn't among the best in baseball a few weeks back, and he has outright proved me wrong and, and been, you know, sustained success, and I've been very impressed with him, J.D. Martinez as well, uh, Xander Bogart's having a resurgence of himself, uh, and Mitch Moreland, a guy that, you know, isn't really talked about as, as one of the better hitters. He's already has a OPS of over 1,000, hitting 321, six homers on the year. Um, so this is a this is a deep offense. Their pitching staff, you know, highlighted by Chris Sale, uh, Rick Porcello is having a good year. David Price dealing with some carpal tunnel syndrome issues, but you know, if he can get past that, he'll be all right. Drew Pomeranz up and down, yes, you know, five two three ERA, not exactly sightly, but uh, this is a rotation that doesn't really need to go as deep into games. That bullpen is fantastic, highlighted by Craig Kimbrell and Joe Kelly. Um, you know, the, the Yankees bullpen is good as well, but. Roldis Chapman has actually had, you know, some up and down games himself, you know, has that one five Oh ERA, um, you know, but necessarily only nine saves hasn't been, uh, I would say vintage Chapman in all aspects. So I'm waiting to see on him. And then David Robertson playing very poorly. Dylan Batances doing poorly as well. Uh, and they now have AJ Cole, a guy who was on the Nats got designated for assignment. Did just, you know, get his first win with the Yankees and, and pitched two innings on four K's the other day. Um, but you know, this this Yankees bullpen doesn't look like the same bullpen that it is. Meanwhile, the Red Sox, they look as good as they've ever been. Hector Velasquez has been a pleasant surprise for them, uh, doing very well as well. So, you know, I'm more convinced that the Red Sox, as far as the entire season goes, are built to stay uh, competitive. The Yankees, I think, are going to need to pull in some reinforcements. I think both teams will end up pulling reinforcements, um, you know, with the Red Sox. You know, their, their outfield, you know, with Benintendi, Bradley, and, and Betts is all right. Um, but Rafael Devers has been one of the defensively one of the worst third basemen in the league. Uh, you know, very, you know, only 21 years old, just a raw defensive player, not ready uh, necessarily for the hot corner. He's really struggling over there. Uh, and his offense hasn't really been enough to make up for it. So I'm wondering, you know, do they find somebody platoon with him uh, or, or handle that hot corner 
uh, full time. But I like this Red Sox team. I didn't pick them to actually make the postseason prior to the year. Uh, but I, you know, I've been impressed with their play. And yes, the Yankees are the hotter team right now. But you know that comes and goes. Uh, and and I, both offenses jump off the page to me. And yes, while the Yankees' offense is better, I think the supporting cast around it is better in Boston. So I got to go with them. Yeah, that's an interesting pick. You know, they the problem I have with the Red Sox is you look down up and down the lineup. You know, what are they going to do with Jackie Bradley? I mean, he's hitting one sixty seven with a five ten OPS. Um, what are they going to do with Rafael Devers? Well, they got their, bold, their boy Brock Holt and Hanley Ramirez who can play left field. They can move Ben Attendee over to center. They can move Mookie Betts around. I know, but what but what do they do with Jackie Bradley? You know, He'll he's be a bench player. Jackie Bradley is going to be a late-inning so? defensive replacement. Defensively, defensively, he's he's worth having out there, though. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean – you know, are you really going to compensate? You know, having a good defender for a one six seven batting average? No. I mean, Jackie Bradley is a good player. I, I like him a lot. I actually had him in fantasy, and I thought he was going to have a decent decent offensive year. But he's never really been able to take that jump offensively. Meanwhile, Henley Ramirez is still having you know a good year. Brock Holt, uh, kind of having a bounce back year after or disappointing last year. You know, catcher I think is the biggest hole for them. They're probably going to need uh, to go out and get a catcher. Uh, Blake Swihart, you know, hasn't been able to really step in as their young guy who was coming up, supposed to be their ca- catcher of the future. So they're they're having to lean on Sandy Le- Leone and Christian Vasquez, which hasn't worked. But you know, uh, Jackie Bradley, yes, he's their starting you know outfielder right now. But I can really see them kind of shifting away from him a little bit. You know, get Holt over in the outfield a little bit more. Get Hanley Ramirez out there. Uh, you know, obviously they can use that DH spot. Maybe rotate JD Martinez into the outfield a little bit if needed. Um, you know, obviously he's not a great defender in any way, but, uh, you know, I'm not worried about the outfield in any way. I think that Bradley, yes, is an offensive hole at the moment, but they don't need to play him. They have that luxury of having a very deep bench. Uh, you know, Brock Holt, one of the better utility players can play all over the field, you know, both, you know, middle infield and in the outfield. So I'm not worried about Bradley. Uh, you know, even if he doesn't figure things out, they're going to keep him on the team, but he's not, doesn't have to play as big a role as maybe he has been playing so far. Yeah, I mean, the OPS Plus is a 37 right now. That's probably that's as bad as I've seen in a while, especially for a guy uh, still getting at bats into a lineup. But, you know, I, I think these are both two great teams. You know, they're definitely showing they're going to both, you know, be in that playoff contention uh, come the end of the season. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see them, you know, play back and forth. I mean, I don't think there's much uh, a better rivalry in baseball than, you know, Red Sox-Yankees and the fact that the two of them are really the king of this division uh, it's great for the game of baseball. You know, some people say that the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry is bad for the sport. You know, saying that, you know, because they're two teams that are hated when they're both good, people just get so mad, they turn it off, they don't watch. You know, Red Sox-Yankees, that's a primetime game that people don't want to see. But, I, you know, that makes no sense to me because they have the two biggest fan bases uh, in baseball. And, and, you know, when you get those two fan bases engaged, everyone's going to tune in to watch those New York-Boston games. I mean, you know, especially when they're playing so well, who wouldn't have wanted to watch those games? I mean, I tuned in, uh, you know, obviously being a National League fan, no reason for me to watch them, but th- these are the two best teams in baseball. Obviously got to tune in and watch it, and obviously with the storied histories that they have, there's so many storylines going for them. All the brawls over the years between these two teams, you know, you got to think, oh, what's next? You know, the whole Joe Kelly thing last year happened. I- I'm... I'm a big fan uh, of the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. Uh, I'm a big fan of just, you know, powerhouses going at it. You know, I love how 
baseball has series, so you get to see you know multiple games where they, they you know go best of three. Uh, and and I've been so impressed with both these teams, but we're, also we're not might not even see you know these might not be the only two teams that we see in the playoffs from the AL East. We've got to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, only 21 and 19, not necessarily you know jumping off the page, uh, but they've been a quietly a very good team uh, offensively, led by you know Curtis Granderson having a great year, Kevin Pillar really coming into his own. He's following the steps of Andrelson Simmons of being an op- defensive first player, really you know turning his offense around. Josh Donaldson, uh, Tayscar Hernandez has had a great year too. Uh, you know I really like this team and, and that pitching. I mean nobody seems to talk about the Blue Jays pitching. Yes. All of their ERAs are in the fours right now, and it doesn't necessarily they scream, okay, a bunch of aces. Aaron Sanchez, Jay Happ, Marco Estrada, and Aimee Garcia. Strowman's on the DL, keep in mind. I mean, those top four right now you know, are very good pitchers and guys that have been good consistently over the past three, four, five years. I mean, I have high expectations for this Blue Jays team, and I think that they could be you know, right in the middle of that wild card race too. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have much, as much faith as you do in that Blue Jays team. Uh, you know, I do like the pitchers that you just talked about, uh, but up and down the lineup, I just don't think that they have. But I mean, who do we uh, else? Who else do we have? Firepower. Who else do we have in this is AL wildcard race, right? So we say like either Boston or New York, whoever doesn't win the division is going to get that top spot. Then it comes down to the AL Central. Nobody other than the Indians are going to be able to compete, and the Indians are only nineteen and nineteen. There is nobody in the AL Central with a winning winning record. Keep that in mind when you're talking about the NL Central, who has to play them all year, just beating up on them. I mean, that makes me think that we're going to be seeing two or three teams uh, from the NL Central in the playoffs for sure. Uh, but anyway, Blue Jays, then you got over to the AL West, you have the Angels and Mariners. I mean, three teams competing for one spot. Uh, you know, the Angels have been up and down, you know, had some uh, really good stretches there. Uh, Mariners starting to play much better lately. Uh, didn't get off to a great start uh, for them, but, you know, I think the the experience that Toronto has, you know, they've been in the postseason plenty of times. The Angels and Mariners haven't. Uh, I, you know, Josh Donaldson in a, career, uh, a franchise year. Uh, I don't know. I really like this Blue Jays team. And the position that they're in right now, you know, if they're in the National League, I would not be having this conversation. But, you know, in the AL where we're ha- seeing just a lot of teams with lower records, I don't know. I, I think that we could see the Blue Jays come out with a wild card spot. Yeah, you know, time will tell. I just don't know if all those guys will be consistent throughout the year in that starting rotation. I mean, they've been you know, pitching well early. Uh, they're good names, but we'll see if they can pitch well throughout the season because that's really going to be the key for them, especially in a division with you know a division filled with really good lineups. Oh yeah, I know. Definitely having to pitch, you know, and especially in you know ballparks like Boston and New York, you know, that can certainly be tough. Um, but and, and Camden Yards. Oh, of course, of course. And, you know, the, the Orioles are, you know, one of the dump, dumpster fires this entire league right now. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But, you know, that offense still has some pop, and, and I would not be surprised, you know, if we uh, if we see them, you know, put up a fight in terms of offensively, um, you know, putting up a fight there. Now, the other question I wanted to talk about before we dip out of the podcast today is sabermetrics. Now, you know, a lot of people in baseball have really taken analytics in full force uh, you know, turning this this game into an analytical, statistical analysis where almost anything can be quantified. And Kevin, do you think that where statistics has brought the game to where it is today, where we're seeing shifts with 
eight of the nine guys on the entire field on the right side of the field. You know, Joey Gallo went up to the plate against the Astros yesterday uh, and had that exact uh, defensive shift with Marvin Gonzalez being the only guy playing on the left side of the field and he was still playing left center. Uh, you know, that with that kind of change in approach, um, you know, players noticing that the ball is far, traveling a little bit farther, so they're altering their swings for the fly ball revolution. You know, where do you stand on the game today? Is this Does this enrich it for the fan, and does it enrich it for the teams? You know, I, I think it enriches it for the fans and, and for the teams. You know, I, you know, with every sport, there's an evolution in the style of play. Uh, with basketball, you know, we've we've shifted into, you know, every everyone loves, you know, the sabermetrics as well as the analytics and all that. Um, but, you know, there's point towards shooting a three-point shot uh, because if you can shoot it a certain percentage and more effective than a two-point shot. Uh, so, you know, there's an evolution. Uh, you know, we can even move over to the NFL. The NFL has moved towards passing uh, because it's more efficient, you know, get down the field faster. Uh, you know, there's an evolution in every sport, and I feel like, Sabermetrics in baseball is good for the game. Uh, it's really evolving it. It's bringing more of the younger interest into the game. I know, you know, the median age for baseball fans is really high, uh, but, you know, I think the interest in sabermetrics is more of a younger age. I think it also brings, uh, you know, more interest from the young fans back into the game. And, you know, overall, I think, you know, sabermetrics are, are, are better for the game of baseball than without. Yeah, I mean... I agree in some ways. I, I love, personally, I'm a huge fan of sabermetrics, and I wouldn't want the game without it. Uh, I love being able to quantify things that, you know, you know, you, you go into, you know, what is the spin rate on that ball? How, how does it really, you know, you, you used to just qualify it what the best pitcher was, um, you know, by his number of strikeouts and his ERA uh, and, and the number of wins he had in the season. And now we can say, oh, well, you know, his ERA is this, but his FIP tells you that he's actually getting lucky and his spin rate is down from this past year. So he's actually not doing as well. And, you know, his ground ball rate, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's incredible. All the things we can do to kind of look at how players are different in, <coughs> excuse me, how, you know, how well or not well they're playing. And I think that's good and it's bad because, you know, it's, it can be bad because, you know, players, the true outcomes have really taken over in the home runs, walks, and strikeouts, where those are all balls that aren't being put into play. And when balls aren't put into play, that's less action on the field, less chances for a web gem, less actual people doing things. I mean, when you have a walk, guy takes his free pass. When you have a strikeout, he walks back to the dugout. When you have a home run, he trots around the bases. That's just literally inactivity. Uh, yes, a home run is a great highlight. Yes, a strikeout is a great highlight for a pitcher. Walks, not really anything. But... You know, as far as as the league goes and, and where it's trying to be marketable, it's actually, I think, losing a lot. Uh, you know, yes, that, that highlight reel of a Max Scherzer striking out 15 guys is going to be pretty cool, but you're not going to have the, the highlight reel of, of, you know, Joey Gallo sliding into second base on a close play, bang, bang, a second, because it's just not happening anymore because he's swinging for the fences or striking out. You know, so, so for me, it's it's got pros and cons. I personally like it because, you know, I, as a guy who prides himself as an analyst, I, I like to really be able to dive into those statistics. Um, but as far as the casual fan goes, I don't think it's good for the game. I don't think that it's helping uh, the game just because it's it's not letting them draw them in. I mean, what non-baseball fan is going to be intrigued by OPS Plus? I mean, you know, that's just something that you have to be already an in-depth fan enough to be, one, to understand, and two, to care enough about. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's where, you know, baseball becomes a thinking man's game. You know, that's kind of its appeal. 
yes, but you know, you still want to be marketable to people who maybe not, you know, don't want to get into the weeds of the sport as much. Uh, in the way we're going, you know, with all these these pace of play rules that are, you know, they're noticing. Oh, well, this takes this amount of time. This takes this amount of time. Let's let's do this to it. I just think that's taking away from the game itself. And while you know, I like I said, I love the saber metrics and I want to be able to use them. I just don't think that you know baseball has been able to respond to it all in a way that's been beneficial to the sport. Yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. You know, it takes a lot of educating to really get the fans up to speed on all of the saber metrics. Uh, you know, it's not just something you you pick up today. Um, for me, I'm still learning saber metrics myself. Um, you know, every day I feel like there's a new thing I'm learning, but you know, I, I think it's good for the game. Uh, it might be tough on the fans, but I think it's good in the long run. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't think you can stop teams from using sabermetrics, any of that. So you really, at this point, just kind of have to accept it um, and take it for what it is. And, and my, my side of it is just to be positive. Um, and, you know, I think it'll all work out for the game. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our show today. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to check out our Twitter at Pure Sports Net, our Facebook at Pure Sports Network, and go to our website at puresportsnetwork.com. I'm Matt Weirich. This is Kevin Haswell signing off. Kevin, any final words for the good people? Uh, you know, trust the process. Earlier today, uh, there's a report from Philly.com that the Sixers will go all in on LeBron James, and they're still interested, and they're very interested in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. If they're able to get any three of those players, I think they're automatic title contenders. So. Uh, keep an eye out for that, and catch us on Thursday. We'll have another episode then. Yep. Uh, go Nats. Nats starters pitching very well. I think it's a one eight six ERA in their last three turns through rotation. Uh, one twelve of 14. They are rolling right now. Uh, one game away from sweeping the Diamondbacks, which I'm super psyched about, who had the best record in the NL coming into the series. So Nats are playing well. If all the other sports do poorly and the Nats do well, uh, you know I'm okay with it. But also the Caps getting that win over the – um, lightning and, and go for game two tonight so I'm excited, go Caps, go Nats thank you all so much for listening and have a good one